We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Evans Music Studio at the ABC and Ultimo for another edition of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and this week with the music, it's Doug Parkinson and his band! And our panel, Tommy Dean, Rebecca De Unamuno and James O'Loughlin. And our audience, this week drawn from Perthville, Hunter Valley, Wollongong, Canoe Lands, uh, Foresters Beach and France. <laughs> The first, as always, here is the news from nowhere. Now, last week we heard all those stories about exchange students, so here's one more. Our son went, when he was 14, to Germany, the first time away from home. And I remember standing with him in Kmart before he left, buying supplies. And his mother wanted desperately for him to buy a chapstick to protect his lips from the German cold. And Daniel said he didn't need a chapstick, but his mother was very focused on the chapstick idea. I really think you need a chapstick, Deborah said. But Daniel was adamant, and the two of them paused, locked in this standoff somewhere between toiletries and cosmetics. And then Dan just said, I really don't need the chapstick. And that was the end of it. I could understand Deborah's nerves. Daniel was to go for 10 weeks in a rural German village with a farming family that lived in a very traditional way. His host brother had been emailing him every day, describing the farm, the motorbikes and the animals. Only a few days back, he had emailed him very excitedly. Good news, visiting brother. Father says we will hold off the slaughtering of the cow until the day you arrive. (laughs) Dan was up for that. There's nothing that gets you over jet lag quicker than a bit of playful cow slaughtering. Uh, Already he'd been told that they had their own pigs from which they made their own sausages and chickens which they slaughtered for Sunday lunch. My son flew off. A few weeks later, he rang home for the first time and he already seemed to have a slight German accent, which was weird. He explained how his family never buys soft drink. The, the main drink is apple juice crushed from their own orchard. They grow all their own food right down to their own wheat and barley. For entertainment, there is the local Lutheran church trombone choir, <laughs> of which all the family are members. And yet, says Dan, he's having fun, and he really admires his host father, Volker. Ten weeks later, he arrives back home. We greet him at the airport, thrilled to have him back. He has vastly improved German. In fact, his problem now is his English. (laughs) My father, Volker, sent me out to collect some, uh, you know, a a sag mail, he says to us. The English word entirely lost to him. He acts out a soaring motion. You know, the white stuff that comes out of the tree. Sawdust? Ah, yes, yeah, sag mail, yeah. Uh, He then runs ahead with his sentence, only to get tangled up once more, this time in a chainsaw. My father, Volker, cut the Christmas tree down with a, you know, a Ketten saga. (laughs) But it's this my father stuff that gets me. I know the exchange student is supposed to embrace the new family, but does Daniel have to be quite so enthusiastic? As the days go on, it's all Volker this and Volker that. On our farm, says Daniel, we have an orchard. 
and our own small plantation of pines to supply the family with timber, and of course our own cows and pigs. Volker oversees it all. Why do I suddenly feel so inadequate, looking out over our suburban block and wondering how to meet my son's newly expanded expectations? Perhaps we could slip a small piggery into the space between the fence and the clothesline, but I'm buggered where I'm going to put the pine plantation. If my father needs a door, he'll just make one out of the timber instead of buying it at the shop, says Dan. I know, I know, I say somewhat petulantly. You don't need to tell me. I've done it myself. Look at the door on the shed built by me out of timber. Volker's not the only father who knows how to build a door. (laughs) Ah, yes, says Butt Boy. But Volker's timber comes from the plantation, not the timber yard. And what about the hinges? I suppose you bought your hinges at the shop. When my father builds a door, we search the farm for scrap metal, melt it down in a furnace, and then, ca- <laughs> and then cast our own hinges. They've been doing it this way for centuries. I'm fast losing patience with Volker. I fight off an urge to mention the war. <laughs> Dan then moves on to the cakes. My mother makes a couple of cakes every day, he brightly tells Deborah, as she stands, weary from work, stirring that night's bolognese sauce. She makes chocolate cake, caramel cake, and for Christmas Day, a cake called the Waves of the Danube, which has chocolate on top, forming these little tiny waves. It's delicious, says Dan. I bet it is, says Deborah, bleakly. (laughs) I realise she's forming a plan to kill him. (laughs) Of course, as the weeks go on, our German son starts to convert back into our Australian son. He stops using German words quite so often and stops getting hungry at about five, his body clock no longer on the lookout for a slice or two of the waves of the Danube. When he uses the word hour, it refers to this rectangle of Sydney suburbia. My father is increasingly me, his hinge-buying father, and my mother is his non-cake-baking Australian mother. The only sign of his trip, a ruddy, frost-bitten complexion and cracked lips. (laughs) His mother shakes her head. She really should have insisted on that chapstick. And that's the news from nowhere. Uh, Tommy Dean, uh, Rebecca, uh, James, welcome. Thank that, you that, for coming That's all together. true. It's all true. Wow. It's all true. Do, do any remnants of the Germanness remain now? Uh, no, I don't think. I, I, when, when he first did it, I used to, I used to do that uh, little talk about how his experiences were so wild and funny, and I used to do it for the German community, and I, I did it for the German ambassador to Australia at some function, and then I did it for the consul general at some function, and then I did it for the business community at another function, and then the fifth time I did it, I realised it, it was for the German teachers within the New South Wales education system, and there was this German guy from uh, you know, the, the Language Institute, from the Goethe Institute, and I realised he'd seen all five <laughs> versions of the speech. And, you know, people say the Germans have no sense of humour, but I offer this. Uh, I, I said to this guy, I said, um, you, you, you cannot sit in this room and hear this speech again. I'll be too embarrassed to do it. You must, you must leave the room. And he says, oh, no, it's all right, Richard, because should you have a heart attack and die in the middle of it, I will be able to jump up and finish. <laughs> Oh, the hilarious Jimmy. <laughs> uh, now, let's check you right up with this week's news. Uh, who this week was Russian to accuse an Australian of being a bit of a tool? Well, this is, uh, this is Hillary Clinton, who was on uh, Four Corners 
uh, Sarah Ferguson interviewed her and uh, she's got a memoir out called What Happened and in it uh, she blames, um, you know, several things for the election. Uh, Bernie Sanders is one name that comes up and, of course, Julian Assange she really had a go at and she said that he'd become a tool of Russian intelligence and I thought, I just thought he was a tool. Um, <laughs> a kind of nihilistic opportunist who does the bidding of a dictator and practically a fully owned subsidiary, say that ten times quickly, of Russian intelligence. Come on, Hillary, tell us what you <laughs> really think. Tell us what yeah. you really think. Yeah, she didn't hold back. But I, th- I, was, I watched it anticipating her to go a bit harder, I think. I was kind of going, come on, say what you really think about Trump. You know, she talked about him stalking yeah. her during the debate and everything, and, and I thought she was very measured in the words that she chose um, to refer to she him. She does blame everybody but herself, though, mm. for their loss, don't you think? Although she did say she feels guilty. She did say that she feels guilty for losing. So, you know, I'll give her that. I'll <laughs> give her that. It's not many people that would say she, that. She feels guilty for everyone stealing the election from her. <laughs> <laughs> blaming everyone. So, I, I can understand how she's bitter if I won a two-person contest by nearly three million votes and came in second, I'd be pretty irritated. Yeah, Especially to Donald Trump. Well, yeah. So now she gets to sleep in, but I'm betting he probably does too. (laughs) Um, I'm pretty sure he's not up at at six. But I think like like me, Hillary lives by a code. And that code is if you're going to blame someone else for your stuff up, make sure there's someone stuck in the Ecuadorian embassy in another country because <laughs> right. then they won't be able to get you. Now, unfortunately, in Julian Assange's case, that's not actually true because he is a very guy. Uh, he is a very powerful guy. So uh, He yeah. uses the interwebs, doesn't he? Yeah. The interwebs, oh, yes. Yes. He can reach out from that embassy. Do, yeah. do you find it a bit weird, that, uh, that book and the, the way she's into this blaming? Well, stuff? I think uh, it's important to note that uh, they eventually had to hone the title to fit on the book. Yeah. Yes. I believe the original title was <laughs> What? <laughs> yeah. They took two Happen. words out in the middle. Yeah. So they cut out a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or it might have been, how all those tools stole the election from me. <laughs> But I, I, I don't know. I think, I, think it over, I think it overlooks a lot of the fact that uh, we could possibly have uh, Bernie Sanders uh, touring on a book about how uh, perhaps the Clinton campaign perhaps stole his nomination. Uh, there's a lot of suspect games being played on a lot of levels. Um, I thought really in the end uh, she should probably be more dignified and just quit talking about <laughs> it. But I'm just waiting for Trump's um, book uh, what happened to come out, and apparently it's a leaflet, and uh, just two stick figures either side of him. He goes me with a tick, and Hillary with a cross. That's pretty much it. I think that's all he's capable of producing. That's what happened. Now, who was bullish in China's shop this week? Who was bullish? Uh, so this is the story about the Chinese president gave a very long speech. So what's his the... name? She. She. What's her name? She. She. What's her she. name? <laughs> Who's on His first? name is she. His name is she. Sorry, thank you. Yeah, she. Yeah, thanks for that. Um, and he was basically talking it's about... It's a very high level of comedy. <laughs> he, I, she, was basically talking about uh, how... How he saw how she, i.e., he <laughs> saw the development of Chinese empire, the Chinese empire. First off, he, he first off, he's saying Taiwan will never be recognised. Now, I think you know Taiwan happened in 1949. Everyone who was involved with that is kind of dead now. So I just, you know, I think they can, 
do a bit better. Um, <laughs> and and they were also talking about their sort of international aspirations. And the one sense you got, I think, is that he, i.e. she, is <laughs> about 15,000 steps diplomatically ahead of Donald Trump. Don't you think? Like you, you could just see the Chinese playing him over the next few years, just like, hey, yeah, uh, she, I, I mean, he, <laughs> we need your help with North Korea. Can you help? Nope. No, we, we need you to help. you got to help. No, we can't help. No, we need you to help. Can you help? Nope. What about, do you want to build those islands in the South Pacific? Then could you help? Eh, we'll get back to you. <laughs> you know, they're just going to be stringing They see it as an opportunity, don't they? Yeah, yeah. And it's, inter- it's interesting how that, that they say that analysts are saying that during the Trump era that it's um, a great opportunity for people to grow in stature as a world power. I think anyone could grow in stature as a world power now that Trump's in there. Like, it's like there's a five-year-old in a kindergarten class somewhere in Dapdo that's just going, next I take over the world. You know? They're inspired by this, by this guy. But every time you say she, I just think of Charles Aznavour. She may be the beauty of the beast. Okay. A song for the Chinese president from Rebecca. She means he. Look, I have a feeling. I have a feeling he said uh, some very important things, but he took three hours. Three hours. So that tested my... I, but if you I, fall asleep, you're executed, probably. Well, well, <laughs> that seemed like a mercy. <laughs> like at about the two-hour mark of a serious, serious speech, I don't even care what the consequences yeah. are. I, <laughs> Salt mine, I'm happy. Yeah, yeah. take but, me there. <laughs> but I think, unfortunately, is that you know Donald Trump, I would think, should have to know what he said, and unless they can paraphrase those three hours in two tweets, it's going to go right past. Him. <laughs> All right, last question from this week's news: Who's still the well, one? Just on the oh, Chinese. Yeah, the other sorry, thing is, yeah. an empire is not what it used to be. Genghis Khan wanted to take over Asia. Alexander the Great wanted to take over the world. So did the Romans. China, China's got this incredible opportunity now. They just want a little bit of the South China Sea. It's a bit pathetic, really. Mm. What they I don't before? think that's the last thing they're going to claim, though. <laughs> I think that's little steps, James. Little, little <laughs> I steps. I think they should be more ambitious. Uh, who's still... <laughs> I think they do, too. Uh, who's still the one when it comes to getting rid of people who like to wear dresses? Still mm. the one. Ah, oh, Channel 9. Is there nothing they don't do well? So, so classy. Uh, this is the story, of course, of Channel 9 on two fronts. Uh, unfortunately, they lost uh, Lisa Wilkinson uh, from the Today Show, um, which was a surprise to me uh, that they had a Today Show. Uh, to be fair. Uh, to be honest, it's on in the morning. morning. Yeah. It's quite new, I think. There it is. But it always makes me laugh. There's like huge wars around the idea of morning television. It's all it, the entire war is over before I wake up. <laughs> but uh, she was, uh, and I, I think this was an excellent point: was that uh, she was upset that uh, in recontracting she so was she the get... Chinese president. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why she did. Some, she thought she should get more money. Surely the Chinese president <laughs> talking on a Today Show should be paid the same as Carl Stepanovich. I, I, I too never watch breakfast TV. The only thing I'll say about Lisa Wilkinson is that she is not the breakfast TV host I get mixed up with. Um, <laughs> it's one of the other ones. <laughs> you wouldn't know because you never watch it. I don't know what you're talking about. Morning TV. But I say, but I say good, on, good on her for walking. I say well done, Lisa Wilkinson, for walking out that door. 
I was very impressed. I was very proud of her. And it came as a shock to so many people that she wasn't on equal pay, which I think, where have you been living? <laughs> because it's been going on forever. But, I mean, for her to leave, yes, it's a huge gap to fill. And you, and you wonder, I wonder now, whoever takes her place, if Nine will be more willing to negotiate closer towards Carl's salary or not. That's mm. just something I'm throwing out there. I, I don't think it's going to happen. Because the but... same week they sacked her, they sacked, uh, they basically closed down the footy show. What have they got against people dressed as women? Well, that's... <laughs> Well, that, that's the big news, and I feel strongly about this. I love Fatty Vorton as a TV host. He's one of my favourite TV hosts. He, he had the best opening line of any interview ever when he interviewed, I think it was Dennis Rodman. Dennis Rodman sat down next to him and he looks him up and down and goes, you're a big unit, aren't you? I just think it was just a classic. Um, I loved all, all the gear they used to do with hypnotism and chilies. I do agree that the footy show has lost its way in the last few years, and I think that's because they made the big mistake of starting to talk about peripheral matters like football. Um, in the old days it was gold. When they started asking us to take it seriously, no. Thank you. Leave that to Richard Glover and people like that. <laughs> Thank God it's Friday. James O'Loughlin, Tommy Dean, Rebecca, Dayuna, Muno. Wheel of Death coming up in a second. But first, um, some HSC students were condemned this week for sending abusive emails to a poor Queensland poet whose work had been set in the English exam. They found the poem hard to understand and took it out on the poet. Who is the writer or historic figure you'd like to give a good talking to after trying and failing to understand their work? James O'Loughlin. Uh, well, most recently myself, I'm currently writing a book and I had to fly home from Brisbane yesterday afternoon and I got to the airport a bit early and I went to the uh, the lounge and they have free wine there. Um, free wine? Yeah. <laughs> and um, when I got on the plane, I had a few free wines and I was writing like, a, like the flash, you know. I was just booming out the words. I thought, I should be drunk all the time. This is so easy. And also, I thought to myself in a slurred uh, thought, it's really good. Um, this morning, it is, yeah, as yeah. you said, incomprehensible crap. Well, so, the, old, the old rule is write drunk, edit sober. Right, right. Well, I did, I did eat, eat, uh, edit sober with select all delete very quickly. Um, the other thing, I think any author who has written a book that is described as a meditation, Mm-hmm. on anything, a meditation on hope or betrayal. Uh, usually, and I hate to say this because it made me look like a Philistine, pretty much any author who's been nominated for the Booker Prize, uh, I usually find <laughs> incomprehensible. Um, You'd like to send them a, a stern note. Yeah, I, do, I, do, I just think anyone who thinks they're really clever and good with metaphors, and that means I don't have to care about a plot... Um, <laughs> It, it, well, the, me, the famous one is, is Ben Okri, who wrote The Famished Road, which won the Booker Prize about 10 years ago. And it was so incomprehensible, this book, even though it sold lots of copies because yeah. it won the Booker Prize. But, uh, the, the, I think it was one of the English newspapers decided to test whether the people who bought the book were actually reading it. They put in these vouchers on page 73, <laughs> which promised £20 free books at, uh, at one of the bookstores. And they put 30,000 of them in 30,000 copies. <laughs> And about eight were returned. <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of people enjoyed the six, first 60 pages. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I'm sure. That's right. yeah. who, who do you want to send a, a note to? Tommy Dean. Look, I, uh, I want to have a hard word with Dylan Thomas, <laughs> the Welsh poet. Yes. Uh, I have been in three, three productions of Under Milkwood. Mm-hmm. Really? I have played the narrator all three times. Yeah, to begin at the beginning. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. And I had no idea... What happened? <laughs> no idea. 
I was explaining to people what was supposed to be happening. I've been in the production three times. I had three different directors explain it to me. I, I just, I wish we could have called Dylan mm. and just said, I'm sorry, Mr. Thomas, but after uh, the beginning of the beginning, I'm lost. I don't know what's going on. It's pretty simple, isn't it? To begin at the beginning, it is Moonlight in the Small Town, Starlet's uh, lands ago. Yeah, yeah, but then what? What's it mean? And what are all the people? And why do they keep coming out? (laughs) Well, obviously... What are you getting at? What are you getting at? I think I can help a little bit. Um, (laughs) Mephanwi's involved. Yeah. Yeah. What's that guy on about? (laughs) And the crazy poisoner person? Yeah. Here's your nice cup of tea. Yes. Anyway, uh, anyway, Dylan Thomas, I'll have a hard word to him. Uh, I forget who was, I think it's Adam, I want to say Adam Scott, but isn't that a cricketer? Adam, who was the invisible hand of the marketplace? Oh, yeah, Adam Smith. Adam Smith? Yeah. yeah. That guy. <laughs> don't get it? Well, I don't get it because it feels like the more I look at economic stuff now that there are a lot of very visible hands touching a lot of stuff quite heavily. <laughs> right. So I don't know where the invisible hand fits in over the top of all these other people grabbing, 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 grabbing. <laughs> The invisible hand is supposed to put uh, supply and demand together in this way that maximizes uh, the cheapness of the product. Well, I used to think the invisible hand was the ATM fee. (laughs) (laughs) That was what I sort of equated it with. Was every time, oh, by the way, if you want to take a second piece of luggage, there's that invisible hand again. (laughs) (laughs) Holiday surtax. Like whenever we know, whenever you go to cafe, I've been to this cafe on a Wednesday for breakfast and it cost me $10. Today it's $12. Invisible, invisible hand. hand. <laughs> it's into my pocket invisible, again. It, it's that if, you, if a lot of people want apples, then more people will grow apples. I get supply and demand, yeah. but I don't understand what the invisible hand is doing. Well, that's up to the person who owns it. <laughs> I know. That's my point. Well, and what's yeah. weirder is, just recently doing the laundry, I found a pair of invisible gloves. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm not involved. And then lastly, based on James saying uh, meditative books, the one that drove me crazy, because my mom loved it, and I never understood. It didn't seem like a thing she should love, but was, uh, and I don't remember the author's name, uh, but the book, a very famous 70s meditation, the Jonathan Livingston Seagull. Richard Bach. Yeah, Yeah, Richard Richard Bach. Bach. That's right. That plot, I liked that. Hard word to him. Really? (laughs) Because I've read the book so many times, and I don't recall hot chips being involved. All about the seagull. I don't know what kind of seagull this is <laughs> and what he's on about. And how can you have an entire book about the life and meditation of a seagull and not have him going, and the chips were amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I sure wish somebody's invisible hand would throw me a chip. <laughs> who do you want to have a stern word to, Rebecca? I'd really like to have a stern word to the people who write the IKEA instructions on how to put together things. Oh, I cannot understand those for the life of me. And I've, I've, I've got several pieces of furniture called an Inga and a Sven. But um, I've just made some modifications on them. They just lean against a wall or they, you know, don't put anything on that, I say to people as they come in. So that's, that's a, I don't understand and those catalogs. And saying, hold piece A with one hand, yes. hold piece B with the other hand. Then take your invisible well, hand. hand. That's right. It would be so handy. Your invisible That's hand is, is holding on to C. Um, so, hello. Um, I'd also like to have a chat with, um, I'd like to have a chat with Koshi. I really want to have a chat with Koshi for uh, the Great Australian Joke Book. Have you, oh, yeah, have you yeah, read yeah. that? I haven't read Yeah, that. none of those jokes make sense. They're not, they're not great. I don't know why they're in there. And I, I start to question whether they're Australian as yeah, well, yeah. whether he's just grabbed a lame joke and gone, well, let's put in emu instead of, you know, iguana. <laughs> well, so you reckon? 
it's actually the, Mala- the great Malaysian joke book or something. I think it might just... be. So A, whether they're Australian, and B, whether they're actually jokes. They're actually jokes. Yeah. I question that. Uh, I'd also, um, I really would like to have a, a this is, a, I majored in Australian literature when I was at university and uh, this is a, a joke for all those Australian literature fans out there that I'd really love to have a chat yeah. with Ern Malley because I don't understand a word. Boomtish. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Um, well, uh, there were three people who thought that was hilarious. <laughs> Thank you very much. That's also, a creeper. That's a creeper. I'd also like, um, in regards to Australian literature, I got rolled up with this question. I was going, oh, I'd like to, you know, speak to all those Australian authors that I read, like Patrick White, The Tree of Man. I, you know, I don't understand it. And then I realised I never read any of the books I was supposed to study. <laughs> yeah. I think the HSC students are suffering under the same problem. That's right, and that may have something to do with it, but still made the order of merit for Australian literature. How uh, good was that? Because of your and, ability uh, to make things up. And my ability to make things up. But I think that any HSC student um, who is grappled, of course they would find poetry hard because they use actual language in poetry. No, no not one lol or ruffle <laughs> or FOMO in those poems. They're not going to understand. They're, they're, that's why they're confused, because they're going, where's the shortened version? Where's the abridged version of this poem? Well, you the know? poem was only 11 lines long. Exactly. <laughs> it could have easily just been 140 characters. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. Uh, now, the Wheel of Death beckons. When our lovely audience came in here at 5 o'clock, they threw some random... Sorry, just before yeah, we sorry, step in the Wheel Tommy, of Death, just Tommy, a quick Tommy. moment. Um, speaking of great Australian jokes, uh, I, had a, I had a jab at uh, Doug Parkinson's drummer yeah. Yeah. earlier, yeah, the yeah. standard pantheon of drummer jokes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I would just like to make it clear that I am uh, good friends with Hamish, mm. uh, <laughs> who is actually one of the greatest drummers in Australia, and I've had the pleasure to work with him for a while. And um, so any in, in suggestion fact, we, yeah. any suggestion that drummers are stupid, I would just like to withdraw that, but I would also like to point out to him, since he's still here, the band has left. <laughs> <laughs> just so you know. Now, Hamish is here to make sure that the roster is set at an, an even level. Oh, you know the, the stage is level if the drool is coming out of both sides of the drummer's mouth. <laughs> At the same time. <laughs> Page 58 in Koshy's joke. Oh, favorite, sorry, favourite drummer joke. Favourite drummer joke. Did you hear about the bass player that locked his keys in the car? It took him two and a half hours to get the drummer out. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. All right, Wheel of Death. Here are the topics for James O'Loughlin this week. Noodles, snoring, danger, accents, umbrellas, cats, dancing, New Zealand... Uh, sculptures, is it? I suppose. Uh, bagpipes, toilet, paper, ethanol, circles, and we're back to noodles, which fill you full of fear. James O'Loughlin. I'm cats. cats? In, in the world of comedy, what new is it to be said about cats? <laughs> hours and hours have been done on cats. All right. We hope it's not cats. We hope it is something else for James Forever. O'Loughlin on the Wheel of Death. Today's topic thrown randomly by one of our audience a little earlier is Snoring. Who gave? Who did? Who did? Ah, very good. Thank you. Yeah, that's snoring. the thing. No one knows. You ask people, <laughs> "Do you snore?" And they go, "No, nah, never heard myself." Uh, so no one thinks that they're a snorer, which means if you're um, uh, in love with someone and cohabitating with them, you can just wind them up, or you can say, you know, to your wife, husband, spouse, friend person you met about three hours ago um, in, the, yeah. in the business lounge of the flight. I'm just going to type out a few more words and then we're into it. Um, 
you can say that was the greatest night of my life. It would have been, well, second, it would have been the only way it could have been improved if you didn't snore. And they'll never know that you're lying. Now, why would you do that? Some people just like to build themselves up over other people, and I'm one of them. Um, and it sort of puts you at an advantage, doesn't it? If, you, if they're thinking, oh, I'm snoring and this is a strange house and uh, you know, we really do those things last night. So if you think you're a snorer, you have to record yourself. Um, I hire out Tommy often. Um, if you can't record a, a tape recorder or you haven't got a phone, Tommy will come round to your place and sit in the corner and just make notes and give you an appraisal of your snoring habits the next morning. So, for example, he might say something like this, four. And that'll mean you snored four times. Uh, he might say something like continuously. And that'll mean uh, yeah, that's what you do. That's what I do. That's yeah. how I do it. Usually yeah. it's a, a, the number is on a scale of one to ten. Yeah. And that involves how many times. And then I use a letter, which gives me 26 grades on how loud it was, <laughs> uh, such as L would be louder than F, say, as an example. Yeah. So if I said 4L continuous, it means four times you snored at level L at a continuous rate, that was disappointing. Now, if he doesn't say anything, you might think that's good news. It's not. It's bad news. It means you've deafened him. <laughs> so you say, Tommy, and he's just there sort of in a daze. And that's happened a number of times. Mm. Um, That's noted as 9Z, Z, Z. Yeah. Now, there are a number of ways. <laughs> but he has to tap that out, sort yeah. of, if, if he's. Uh, there's a number of ways you can cure snoring. One is to stay awake. That's the best way. Mm. Um, and people have done that successfully for up to three days. Uh, and sometimes that puts them in such a state of, of, of fatigue that when they fall asleep, they just do one long one that goes for about half an hour and they die. Uh, so that's not really recommended. The other way is hooking a big machine up to you. The third way, and the way I recommend, is to hire Tommy on a full-time mm. basis. I was hoping you would plug that. To whenever you start snoring, he'll just slap you gently at first and go, hey, stop snoring. <laughs> that's how it works, isn't it? Well, that's in extreme cases. Uh, I have gotten so attuned to the sensitivity of the snore about to happen that I can sense it coming on. Yes. And I find that with a slight, you tap him right between the eyes, just, just two taps. Two taps right between the eyes. Yeah. And just, just enough to bring him just up out of deep REM. Right there, and then, ooh, and then the snore doesn't happen. Yeah, it's beautiful. Mm. Uh, the problem is, if you haven't hired me to do that, because quite often that, I volunteer my services and people don't realize it. Yeah. So I'm in the house tapping people on the forehead. <laughs> that's get awkward. That can get awkward. That can, that can get awkward. Because often, often, you know how those people, they come up and they want to clean your windscreens, and sometimes they do it before you negotiate a contract. Uh, Tommy's like that. He'll mm. just creep into your house, yeah. spend all night tapping you on the forehead, yeah. and the moment say, I, you, explain what he did and ask you for about a thousand bucks. So, yeah. uh, you just rifle through the nightstand. Yeah. yeah. Before you finish, I want to give you one practical bit of advice. This is true, and I've tried it with people I have slept in the same bed with and when I've been with Tommy as a accompanying observer. Mm. Uh, if, you, if someone's snoring and you whisper into their ear really softly... Stop snoring. It works for about a minute. Mm. I think that's all. Yeah. Or tap them <laughs> like right on the eyeball. 
Like right, like not like bang. Like you save the bang from between the eyes. That with that more, more work. of a caress. More like tickle their eyebrows. I mean their eyelashes. Tickle their eyelashes. Tickle their eyelashes. No snoring. Well, what do you say on, on work documents and passports to describe this profession? Uh, it snore is snore consultant. No, it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a snore. Well, snore, snore. The problem with snore is it has a negative connotation. It does, it does. So and, I prefer, I prefer nocturnal Advisor. sound emissions. <laughs> <Consultant>. Regulator. <laughs> but but in, in the business, um, Tommy is known as the invisible hand. Um, <laughs> of course he is. Friday with Richard Glover. We have James O'Loughlin, Tommy Dean, Rebecca Day, Unamuno, and our wonderful audience. Thank you for coming. Uh, now, the RSPCA has just published a pocket guide to pet first aid, recommending some of the medical procedures that could come in handy if you see an animal in trouble. What are some of the medical techniques you'd like to learn in order to help particular animals, and what would those medical procedures be called? Rebecca. I'd really like to be able to train birds to be able to poo on me because I could really use the luck. And, um, and that's called um, radaris shittus. It's, um, it's a really a great technique. Uh, it's very hit and miss, uh, the, the actual process. You know, some people's car, my neighbour's cars, incredibly lucky, incredibly lucky. Uh, I'd also like uh, the ability to stop uh, rabbits from being attracted to my Ugg boots. Um, I had a pet rabbit when I was in high school and it would, uh, you know, it thought my Ugg boots were some lady rabbits. And uh, the number of times I was chased around the backyard. Uh, and that's... <laughs> by, by Randy by Rabbit. By Randy Rabbit. Gus the Rabbit used to love my Ugg boots. So eventually I'd throw the Ugg boots off and throw them behind me to him and I'd turn around and there he was, menage a twiring with the Ugg boots. <laughs> that's so hor- that's like such to- a horrific story. And that, that technique is called Ugga not a lover, um, <laughs> which I'd really like to see to see happen. And, uh, and I'd also like to see, I thought, oh, wouldn't it be great if you got like a, a, you know, just a monkey to like run the world? And then I went, oh, <laughs> Donald Trump's done it. It's brilliant. He's already there. He's, he's the biggest orangutan of all is running. The world. Flip, flip us through your copy of the RSPCA Animal Guide, James. Well, I, I can help you with the bird one. Oh, I, I've managed to train them to poo on me. In fact, I remember in this very building, maybe about 10 years ago, there, there's, there used to be an outdoor cafe up on about the third floor and I was up there with Adam Spencer who's doing Triple J Breakfast and we were talking about something and a bird pooed on my head <laughs> and I, I started to wipe it all off and then when I thought I'd wipe it all off, I said to Adam... Have I got any more poo in my on my head? And he looked at me and in his clever, erudite way he said, the mere fact that you have to ask that question suggests your life is just going totally the wrong direction. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, thanks. But, but I, I've got some tips for you Great. so I can help you. The other one, I, th- I think elephants, they must get a lot of stuff stuck in their trunks, uh-huh. doesn't they? So there could be some sort of, um, you know, they might have a bagel or something for lunch and then thunk. It, it, it sort of stuck there, so an uh, elephant trunken dick to me. Or, yeah. uh, you, know that, you know they don't eat with their trunk, right? Yeah, I know that. All right. they, use a trunk, they use a trunk to, to get, to well, get the food. But and they place... get impatient sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And I just... mean, sometimes, geez, it's a long way. Why don't I just take the short road up there? Oh, yeah. Why would they do that? Do you do that? Do you put food yeah, up your nose? Down. 
I mean, that's the equivalent. That's the equivalent of you getting a banana, James, no, and trying to insert it in your nose. Not, not, no, if my nose was attached to my hand and I was picking up the food, I'd be tempted to think, well, there's a hole there. The mouth hole, no, hole, you know, it's going to get in. I'd be tempted that and elephants. It was, just, I was, just, I was just a detail. I was just, it was the bagel. Like I just in my study of elephants, I found that what gets them in trouble is that when they're using the knife to spread the cream cheese on, yeah, it's the knife that gets sucked up inside the trunk. Yeah, right. the bagel itself is rarely a problem for them, but the utensils that they're using is. But I would have thought the knife, because it's thin, it, that'd just get up. Like the bagel's going to get. And then it turns because you know the twist and it oh, turns the twist. it. Yeah. Oh, that could do a lot of damage. Okay, that's why I'm glad that you've invented this. <laughs> so I, I got the wrong thing, right thing for the wrong reason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. Um, spiders, I suppose they get a lot of leg injuries, <laughs> wouldn't they? Uh, I mean, not as many as centipedes, obviously. Um, probably the same amount as octopuses. Uh, but they've got very thin legs and very fragile legs. So you reckon if you were in the centipede world, the best job would be the orthopaedic surgeon? I would have thought so. I mean, it makes sense, doesn't it? Yeah. Or, you know, those people that make um, little sleeves for hamstrings when you've got a hamstring strain. Imagine how you go, how well you go with them for centipedes. I'll have 86, thanks. So now, I, now I want you to invent a spider zimmer frame. <laughs> Like, you know, like the toddler thing where you put them inside the ring and they walk around yes, in the ring? Yeah. But imagine a Zimmer frame that went all the way around, like, you, like a donut went over the old person, and then they had like eight legs supporting <laughs> yeah. them. Well, I kind of <laughs> thought that's what their eight legs are like. Yeah. They're almost like, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's almost like spiders had two proper ones and they withered away and they've got this, these eight sort of inadequate Legs. Yeah. They're not proper legs. They're just sticks. <laughs> That's how I see it. What are you going to? Ta- how are you going to help the animal kingdom? Tell you want to train them to help themselves. <laughs> Empower them. Empower them. Well, they should be doing more to help us. That's what I think. Like I want. Uh, we have a, a magpie that lives near our, in a forest near our house. A stand of trees is a better word for it um, <laughs> than forest. <laughs> but it steals stuff. It takes stuff off the line. Yeah. We have like the, the lines at the back. It takes stuff off the lines, uh, which I don't know what it does with it. Uh, but then, so that's part of it makes me seem well, like well, it's, clothes and like stuff. It's, well, yeah, like clothes? usually those are small rags. It takes small uh, rags. Yeah. Mm. Uh, but then uh, it flies into my picture window. Bam! So I want to I want to train it to dip the rag that it's stolen in some window cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> and as it slides, and as it down, slides the window, down the window, <laughs> well, that'd be good. Well, then you'd have to train it to do it like ten times, but each time ten <laughs> centimeters over. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fine. But baby steps. If we just had like one strip of window to see out of, yeah. <laughs> we'd be happy with that. My wife would be pleased. I'd, oh, I got to the windows today, honey. I <laughs> didn't quite get a chance to finish it. So you'd have to put something that. It found attractive or enticing on the rag. Yeah. Or, or just put something attractive yeah. on the other side of the window, like Ooh, yeah. a pair yeah, of Rebecca's Ugg boots or something. <laughs> <Still amazing. laughs> what about some a... chips? Like smear it in chips? Something. The rag. Oh, there's that rag. It's all, it's all a work in progress. But... <laughs> you, I mean, you've got a lot on. But I want him to do it. But my problem, what I've been focusing on, is we have a blue tongue lizard that lives uh, in my swimming pool pump room. Uh-huh. Uh, so if I could get him <laughs> to do the back filter work for me. <laughs> well, you're really giving nice. him free accommodation. 
Well, I, that's what I say to him. And the possum as well. There's a possum that sleeps in the top. Uh, I, between the two of them. Like, the way I figure it is, the weight of the possum will push the handle down, and then the blue yeah. tongue can walk the wheel around. And then either one can press great. the button. It's an easy button to press. When you say that's what I say to him, I, the blue tongue lizard, when you say it to him, how does it reply? <laughs> how does it make its intentions clear, oh, wait, it, Tommy? Sorry, it, it sticks its blue tongue out. But I've, I've learned to interpret it. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, he's been living there for years. Uh, well, it mean? depends on what time of the day it is and what I've asked him. Like, right. sometimes I'll say to him, I'll say, hey, Mr. Blue Tongue, uh, <laughs> why didn't you back wash the filter? It's been three days. And then he sticks his tongue out. I go, oh, well, I was a little busy. <laughs> didn't realize it was already Wednesday. There's no calendar in here. Well, what would it so I put a calendar in, and then he said, thank you for the calendar. <laughs> what would he have been busy with? Did you inquire about that? He apparently Playing was... cards with the possum. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who were the winners and losers of this week? Rebecca Day University. Uh, he's lost patience. <laughs> he's lost patience with his nonsense. Finally, finally. <laughs> my, my, my losers for the week are... Um, it, it, well, uh, Sydney hasn't seen rain for, for quite some time and uh, this is the first day that we've had rain uh, and, uh, and the city just can't cope. People are going crazy out there. It's, it's okay, people. It's just wet. It's rain. It's nothing. Like, but oh, getting here today was just madness. Why is God weighing yes, on exactly. us? Yes, yeah. exactly. Like, we've forgotten what it's like to be in the rain. Yeah. Uh, and my winners for the week, on a, on a slightly serious note, but in relation to the uh, allegations uh, against Harvey Weinstein, the uh, Me Too hashtag, mm. which has been out there, my winners for the week are all of the women who have been brave, strong, and, um, and just amazing enough to share their stories with the hashtag. And I'm saying to you all, uh, uh, my solidarity with you, sisters. Well done, well done, well done, well done. Winners and losers, James. Um, winners and losers. So play- Playboy is having its first transgender playmate. And I can't work out if the men buying the magazine are winners for being open-minded and supporting transgender rights or losers for just buying it going old school and not caring whether, you know, what he, she was. So winners, We're losers. not back to the president of China again, are we? <laughs> she. Tommy, who were the winners and losers? Uh, the loser of the week is reality, a week in which uh, we saw George W. Bush and John McCain make excellent speeches that made total sense. <laughs> Yeah. What is happening <laughs> to the world when these two famously crazy people make sense? And um, the winner, the winner is Australian optimism. I've been on about this for years and years and years, but reminded of it yet again uh, for all of the concern about shark attack as we move into whale season. Uh, there was a surfer showing his way to make it safe to surf again with sharks is to bring your own tourniquet. <laughs> Bring your own tourniquet. What? Yeah. Tourniquet. Tourniquet, sorry. Well, take, it, take it with you when you go surfing. Take your own tourniquet when you go surfing. So then that... What when he bites your leg off, you can fix it. Fix right. it. You don't have Carry to wait on. for the blue tongue yeah. to help. Who needs to come in? <laughs> Do it yourself. Please thank James O'Loughlin, Tommy Dean, Rebecca De Unamuno. Uh, thanks for being part of TJF. Next week, Gene Kitson, Subby Valentine and Tommy Dean. With the music, it's Missy Higgins next week. I'm Richard Glover. Until next time, thank God it's Friday! Yeah.